Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bavo from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you guys are about to have a great weekend. Um, today we are going to continue our conversation about the archetypal combination of Jupiter and Uranus. Um, we started this week by looking at Jupiter and Uranus in combination, and then later in the week we continued by looking at Jupiter and Uranus through the houses according to your rising sign. So today we are going to continue looking at the archetypal combination of Jupiter and Uranus, especially by looking at two stories. Um, one is a children's story that um, I had read to me as a child that I read to my kids, and also a story from the Bhagavat Purana, a classic Indian um, collection of, of, of educational tales, especially potent um, for learning and studying yoga. Uh, so a great story today to, that I think really illustrates the Jupiter-Uranus dynamic. So that's what we're going to do. Before I do that, I want to remind all of you, my mentors, two of my mentors, teachers, friends uh, in the Bhakti Yoga community, Loka and Vidarbha, who have come on my show uh, here before to talk about the Bhagavad Gita, are offering an immersion class in the Bhagavad Gita. If you go and visit their website, it's bhaktiwise.com. Click on the Study With Us tab, and you can see they have a new class, Unlocking the Mysteries of the Bhagavad Gita. They are in uh, India at the moment. The classes will be held from March 15th to May 31st, 12 classes, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday evenings, if you can't make it live, all the sessions are recorded for you. There's also optional mantra meditation lessons, and it is by donation. So consider it if you are if you enjoy the spiritual content that I weave into my astrology talks. Uh, you want to learn a little bit more about yoga philosophy from two wonderful teachers and talk about how to actually incorporate some of the practices of yoga into your everyday life. We're not talking about asana and posture yoga. We're talking about uh, uh, traditional mantra meditation style of yoga, you could say, as well as look at learning about one of the most beautiful texts, religious sacred texts in the world in the Bhagavad Gita. So I hope you guys will enjoy that. All right. In the meantime, let's put up the real time clock and remind ourselves about the timing of this transit for starters. So here on the screen, you can see Jupiter at about nine degrees of Pisces connecting with Uranus about 11 degrees of Taurus. So this transit, how will it perfect? Let's go forward and you'll notice that about a week from now, by Friday, February 18th, the transit will be just, it'll have just perfected. So between the 17th and the 18th, a week from now, Jupiter and Uranus combined in their sextile. And then you're going to give another couple of weeks, uh, really, until we see the two of them separating by about the beginning of March you'll see the two moving apart from each other out of that three degree range that we always want to keep in mind. Um, so remember that in the background of all of this is a Venus-Mars conjunction moving through uh, Pluto, moving the Venus-Mars is conjoining as it moves through Pluto. And that is happening by the first week of March as well. So it is a very um, auspicious transit in my mind, because you have Venus and Mars suggesting agreement. You have Jupiter and Uranus, which is maybe one of the most subjectively exciting transits of those slower moving planets from Jupiter out to Pluto. So I just, I really am excited about this combination. I've already seen it manifesting in my own life in ways that have been pretty exciting. Um, maybe I'll talk about some of those later, but 
So I think we have a lot to be excited about overall. This to me, I'm, I might be on the hype train with it a little bit, you know, but you guys know me. I don't typically get on the hype train about any one particular transit. I always just stick with breaking down the archetypal combinations. There's always light and dark. It's not really about getting stoked for some big good thing to happen or being afraid of some really bad thing that's going to happen. Uh, it's just about awareness and about um, participatory consciousness, right? You guys know me, I preach that gospel all the time, but this one actually has me excited because I think that I've, I've got like a, um, I've got a little Saturn fatigue, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Saturn opposed my, conjoined my moon, opposed my sun is now opposing my ascendant ruler. It's like, you know, just been, and, and we've had Saturn and back-to-back -back Saturn ruled signs, Jupiter and back-to-back -back Saturn ruled signs. So the, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in a Saturn ruled sign, it's been a lot of Saturn, right? So anytime you get Jupiter and Uranus in the mix, it's not Saturn, you know, so it's a different vibe. And I think that's just probably something that I'm feeling more um, subjectively excited about, <laughs> you know, so... All right. Well, let's talk. I'm going to, first of all, break down some of the archetypal combinations again. And then I'm going to tell you two different stories today that I think illustrate the two ways in which our lives can go if we um, listen to the wisdom of Jupiter and Uranus. I also want to apologize in advance. My I Occasionally, I leave my camera on and then I forgot to turn it off. And then the battery's dead and I don't have time to let it charge before recording for the day. So you get my grainy web camera. Uh, for today. So at any rate, um, remember that there was a show when I was, I want to say, I don't know, I was probably in like elementary school or middle school or something like that. There was a show called Quantum Leap. I don't know if any of you ever saw it, but it involved a main character and I forget the actor's name. He's pretty famous, I think. And he would bounce around in time doing, you know, solving mysteries or doing heroic things. And he had like an AI computer friend. I think his name was Al. And there was a computer named Ziggy or something like that. At any rate, they would jump around in time with him and give him information that he needed in order to help alter the flow of events. So he was like a time traveling uh, hero. And the show was called Quantum Leap. I want to start by saying that Jupiter and Uranus is kind of like that show. It's like that show because when Jupiter gets together with Uranus, people will often say Jupiter-Uranus is like a quantum leap. Well, popularly, what we mean by quantum leap is that it's a major opening, a rapid development, a big leap forward that's unexpected and probably faster than you would have anticipated by normal logic. Okay, so like that's a quantum leap. But actually, if you think about the show Quantum Leap, that's also a very Jupiter-Uranus show in the sense that, that we're, where we have a sense of how something is going to go because of the causal flow of events in time. Well, things have been developing in this way, and so there's a trajectory that things are probably going to work out like this. Um, you know, all logic tells us this is what should happen. But then you have a time traveling, you know, uh, guy with his AI friend who can jump around and alter the flow of time and essentially change the karma of a situation. Jupiter and Uranus is like that. 
uh, Jupiter and Uranus is like a temporary window that allows us to somehow alter timelines, somehow alter, you know, we thought one thing was going to happen at a certain stage in life, but suddenly it happens right now. And you thought you're going to have to wait 10 years for something to build and grow and develop. And then suddenly it's right there. Other times it's something bad was going to happen and you could see it coming. You had a pretty good sense that this challenging thing or energy or tension was going to rise up and become something you have to deal with. And then suddenly a solution is found or suddenly it doesn't turn out that way. It turns out completely opposite to the way you would have thought. There's this stroke of universe uh, giving you some kind of compassion, some opening and some grace. So it is as though there is an invisible, I think his name was Sam. I can't remember what the main guy's name was, but this is as though we're all like quantum leap travelers for a minute, or that there are quantum leap travelers jumping in that we can't see into our picture along with their, their AI buddies and like just changing the plot line and flipping the script, probably in a way that saves us from something or prevents the worst or gives us a rapid development we weren't expecting. But it's almost like there's just little angelic messengers and timelines get warped and skewed in ways that you wouldn't have anticipated at all. And usually for the better, when you have Jupiter and Uranus configured to one another in any kind of aspect, but especially a sextile or a trine, which are of the nature of Venus or Jupiter. So that's where I want to start. Just the idea that things are going to bounce off your timeline in a way that you weren't, in a way that you weren't expecting. The thing that you thought was going to happen could be radically different than what will actually happen. And it may turn out to be significantly better, easier. Um, and all I can say with Jupiter Uranus, when it comes to this, is that there will still probably be the need for us to take advantage of the opportunities given to us. For example, in that show, in the Quantum Leap show, he could only do so much. He could only step in time so much, otherwise it would be like interference in fate or destiny. But if people within the timelines he jumped around in noticed what was being offered or the ex extension of the helping hand that he signified, that he represented in the storyline and took advantage of it, they could change their fate. I feel like the astrology right now, Jupiter Uranus is like that. Jupiter Uranus is something showing up and offering you the ability to sort of change a timeline or a trajectory, change the logic of something, change a consequence, um, but you still have to take advantage of it. It's an opportunity, not a, that's one of the things that defines Jupiter Uranus, in fact, is that it's about opportunity and possibility and we still have to take advantage of that. We still have to say yes to it or act on it or whatever. There's a little bit of a carpe diem in Jupiter Uranus, but carpe diem doesn't really work unless you sort of fist clench, scream it from the gut, you know, like Dead Poet Society. You got to sound your barbaric yawp from the rooftops of the world. You have to grab the opportunity. Otherwise, it somehow doesn't work. And there's a risk involved, you know, and, and the weird thing is that Jupiter Uranus can sometimes signify people who take sort of manic, ungrounded, wildly unrealistic risks and end up falling on their face. Um, so, but I don't think that it's out to deceive you or fool you or trick you or something like that. So reasonable risks 
where it's like, hey, look, just take advantage of this opportunity. You really do have to. You have to because it'll pass and the thing won't just happen on its own. At the same time, you know, a little bit of caution, be careful of wildly excessive, arrogant, self-righteous, over-the-top, ambitious stuff that presents itself like fool's gold. And, you know, there's it's not grounded in a practical approach. It's not that the practical or the earthy is somehow completely opposed to this dynamic either. There should always be space to think things through, to be careful and thoughtful, while also seizing an opportunity when it comes. And there has to be some carpe diem moments in life. As cliched as it is, like, I'm not a fan of people who post carpe diem-like posts every two days, clearly in response to some kind of existential binge cycle they're on, you know, you know, like... (laughs) I just, it's annoying when I do that. So I can, (laughs) I can say that I get annoyed when other people do it too. (laughs) But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, you know, elation and depression in some kind of spin cycle. We're talking about um, the idea of opportunity and possibility present itself, flipping the script somehow and providing us with some kind of interlude we weren't expecting. So watch for that and make sure you do take advantage of it when it presents itself because it won't happen on its own. Uh, Just like time traveler in Quantum Leap can't solve everything, but he can present like little alternative pathways that have a huge impact if the characters in the stories take advantage of them. And of course, most of the time in that story, they do. But there are episodes, I remember episodes where sometimes they didn't and there was only so much he could end up doing. The calculus of fate. Well, Jupiter Uranus definitely lands on the side of free will and possibility and openings and things like that. So just keep that in mind. Sometimes things are quick and easy. A lot of the time with Saturn, we get used to them being hard, long, slow, steady, determined, patient. Nothing wrong with those things. I, you know, as someone who has, you know, a moon in Saturn sign and exalted Saturn in my chart, I certainly like to sit down every day with my practices and, you know, see the effort slowly blossoming over long periods of time. I like to steep in life like a tea, you know, that's me. But I also, um, you know, as someone who has Uranus configured in a very close trine to my son, it's weird because sometimes it's just like, that's just not the path. And we can feel it. Sometimes the path is quick, it's sudden, it's fast, it's way easier than you think it should be, and that's not a bad thing. Grace, openings, growth, evolution can hit like a lightning strike, and sometimes it doesn't require the slow, patient, determined plotting of Saturn. So just consider sometimes things are quick and easy. The other thing is to remember that Jupiter, broadly speaking, as the the rejoicing in the 11th house and associated with the triplicities also has this sense of being about things that are shared in groups of like-minded people who network, collaborate, and work to help one another. And so the idea of some kind of shared opening, shared awakening, a collective or collaborative effort that emerges quickly and is very exciting, par for the course for Jupiter and Uranus. The idea that if you open your mind, if you broaden your horizons, you will free yourself from things you didn't even know you were trapped by mentally, psychologically, professionally. Uh, That's also a Jupiter-Uranus dynamic. So 
if you feel the urge to broaden your horizons, follow it and you'll probably find greater freedom in other areas you weren't anticipating. Um, the Also, there is the um, sense that this is a problem solver where there has been something hanging over you. Suddenly, the clouds clear. Suddenly, there's uh, upliftment. So don't be surprised if something that's been heavy suddenly lifts. That's also one of the great aspects of this transit, sudden good fortune, sudden uh, good luck, right? That kind of thing. Um, I think also about this transit, one of the images that I love from Ren Butler's book, um, The Archetypal Cosmos, is the image of people graduating from high school or college. As a metaphorical image, I like to think that Jupiter Uranus gives us some kind of existential graduation. You just graduated from the school of being stupid over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, wow. That was like, I was banging my head on that for a while. Now I'm free. You know, <laughs> you know? so I think that the idea of there being a sudden leap that feels like, wow, I just graduated existentially, karmically, whatever. Uh, not that karma is necessarily the answer. I'm not suggesting that there's some uh, level 10 you can ever reach, but it certainly does feel good from time to time to just level up and be the boss. You know, you know what I mean? So Jupiter Uranus can help you do that. All right. There are two stories that I feel like really, at least for me, that have come up for me in my meditation on this transit that get right at the heart of Jupiter Uranus and its wisdom. And with what happens if we take it versus what happens if we don't take the wisdom of Jupiter Uranus. And there's lots of wisdom to take. Every planet and planetary combination has different kinds of wisdom. It's not just one type of wisdom or one type of lesson, but let's talk about Jupiter Uranus as a lesson. And actually we'll start by talking about the vice. There is a book when I was a kid that I read that I now have for my kids and it's called King Bidgoods in the Bathtub. I don't know if you guys have ever read this book. Uh, I think it was like a Caldecott award winner or whatever that award is called. Um, let me see if I can bring it up in case there are parents out there who would really like to pick it up. Yeah, it's called King Bidgoods in the Bathtub. And it was, gosh, uh, I believe it was some kind of award winner. Here it is on the screen. I'm going to show you. It was a Caldecott honor book. I remember this book so well, taking it out from the library when I was a little boy. Here it is. It's King Bidgoods in the Bathtub. In case you parents out there want to read it to your kids, it's a fun one. It's very memorable. The illustrations are really beautiful. So at any rate, in this story, there's a king. Spoiler alert, <laughs> you're going to find out about what this book is all about. There is a king who is, um, he is having a lot of fun in the bathtub and he doesn't want to get out. And all of these different people, uh, the page especially, keeps trying to figure out how do we get him out of the bathtub? Because he's got to rule the kingdom and he won't, he won't get out of the bathtub. And every idea, like, let's have lunch, let's tell him at lunchtime. And he'll be like, great, let's have lunch in the bathtub, <laughs> you know? And there's all this like, oh, there's a war. Great, let's have our war planning meeting in the bathtub. You know, it's like, and then all these crazy pictures of everyone getting in the bathtub with him and they're all, you know, but 
basically the look on his face is one of self-indulgence. He's got responsibilities, you know, and, and he just, he absolutely can't get out of the bathtub. He's just, he's enjoying it too much, <laughs> you know, and should we all be so lucky? <laughs> so as the story goes on, you know, one attempt after another to lure him out of the bathtub with something that you will either tempt his senses or that will coax him out in terms of a responsibility he has fails and he keeps insisting that things happen in the bathtub. Finally, at the end, the page gets this idea, which is to just pull the plug. <laughs> so he just pulls the plug and the bathtub drains. And then suddenly, suddenly, um, the king is realizes he's naked, you know, and so he you see him like ah, with trying to put a towel around him and he goes running off. So why is this a Jupiter-Uranus story? Well, the story itself is not really Jupiter-Uranus, but the ending and the moral of the story have a lot to do with Jupiter and Uranus. So if you think about it, um, in our lives, whatever we focus on, whatever we build with our lives, uh, whatever we indulge ourselves in, eventually it's all taken away from us whatever the party is that we're having, you know, in death, and all traditions tell us this, whether it's the Buddhists or the yogis, all different schools of mysticism around the world tell us this. Eventually the bathtub party's over, you know? <laughs> so, so if you think of life, like, you know, we're trying to enjoy our bathtub as much as we can. Um, and a pretty harmless image, really. We're just trying to enjoy the bathtub party as much as we want to do everything as, as, as with as much joy and pleasure as we can, as much peace and comfort as we can. But eventually, there will come a time when the plug will be pulled and will pass. And what we have uh, built or done is what we will be left with to usher, usher us into that transition. Uh, if we have completely um, you know, avoided all kinds of spiritual, moral, ethical responsibilities, and only focused on pleasure uh, to the extent that we have avoided any kind of um, discipline or duty, then, you know, like the king, we'll be left sort of naked and scrambling at the end. So it's a fun, it's a funny story. You know, ultimately it's just a, it's just a funny story, but the moral is really important in terms of like, look, at the end of the day, you are going to have to get out of the bathtub. And when you do, there's going to be, you know, you're going to be left with the fact that uh, without without the bathtub there, you're sort of naked and you have to scramble for a towel and run. So that's King Bidgood, right? That's his story. We're going to contrast that now with a story from the Bhagavad Purana. And in this story, we're talking about the avatar incarnation of Lord Vishnu called Matsya. It's a fish. I'm going to talk about that one really briefly. <clears throat> so I'm going to read you this. This is this comes from the Bhagavad Purana. Um, this is sort of more of a literary interpretation, not a scriptural one as much. This one goes like this. After a spare meal, Satyavrata fell asleep that night and heard strange sounds just as dawn broke. He saw the tiny fish had grown so much in a night that his water vessel could no longer contain it. So in this story, what's happened at this point, I'm just kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but what's happened is 
This king has found a fish that's jumped into his hands, and the fish has asked uh, to be um, uh, to give to for, for some sanctuary. Please, you know, help give me some place to swim, some place to live. So he puts him into a water vessel. Well, in the morning he wakes up, and the tiny fish had grown so much the water vessel could no longer contain it. The fish spoke again to the king, "I cannot stay in your kamandalu anymore. It is too small for me. I beg you, put me in a larger vessel." The king let it into a bigger earthen pot and filled that with water. But in a moment, the fish was as long as his arm and as wide and thick too. In a few moments more, it was thrice that size and cried again to the austere king, Raja, look at me, I am much too big for this water pot. Find me a bigger place to dwell. The king fetched the vessel to the pond in the hermitage and emptied it there with the fish. In an hour, the fish filled the pond with its supernatural growth and cried again to the king, Oh, king, look how small this pond is for me. I need at least a lake to stay in comfortably. Find me a lake where there are no crocodiles. With some difficulty in using a net and many of his men, Satyavrata took the fish to a lake. But in hours, it filled the lake and the king had it hauled on wheels using a legion of his men to uh, a bigger lake, large as the small sea. The fish filled this in half a day and cried pitiably to the king once more. The king mustered an army and had the fish brought to the sea. It said to him, as always in the chastest language, Satyavrata, you must not put me into the ocean, for surely a whale will devour me if you do. Now Satyavrata spoke to the fish. He said, who are you, O fish? You've never seen a creature as extraordinary as you. You speak and you grow as no other fish ever. In a day, you filled a lake of a hundred yojanas. He paused then and said with conviction, you could only be the Lord Hari. You have come as a fish to bless the worlds. Paramatman, I salute you that you are the master of creation, nurture, and dissolution. You are the soul of all of us who seek salvation and refuge in you. Every avatar you have come as have been to save the worlds. Tell me, my Lord, why have you come now as this awesome fish? Lotusite Vishnu, unlike serving the mortal, worshiping you is never in vain. Look how you've come to me in this exceptional form. I'm certain this is the fruit of my devotion. The Lord is always absolutely loving toward his bhaktas. He had now come to swim and sport in the waters of the pralaya. He had also come to bless his devotees. And he said to Satyavrata, O Raja, on the seventh day from today, Swarga, Bhumi, and Patala shall drown in the waters of the Naimitika pralaya. When the earth is submerged, I will send you a ship. You must board that craft with the seeds of all the trees and plants that you can gather, with a pair of every species of animal and bird, and with the saptarishis. You will need to navigate the pitch darkness of the pralaya, and the seven sages shall shine as beacons of light for you in the night of nights. When the most violent waves and winds rock your ship, I will appear at its prow, and you can moor your vessel to my fin, using basuki as your rope. I will guide your ship through the waters of the deluge until Brahma's night end ends and he awakens and begins a new day and a fresh creation. And through the perfect night of Brahma's sleep, I shall reveal my inmost secrets to you upon the ultimate ocean. And you will realize the truth of Brahman and you will find moksha and become free. With this, the sacred Matsya vanished. So from there, the story goes on and resembles many of the great flood myths from all around the planet uh, in terms of there being the uh, deluge and a great flood and the boarding of a boat with animals. And then in this case, uh, the, the, the guidance of that boat through the storm of uh, destruction 
the the fish guides the boat through and navigates it through uh, into a um, a new place and a new day. Very similar to the Noah myth, uh, the the ark and uh, from uh, the Old Testament. So at any rate, a great story. But what is so important to that story, and how does it compare and contrast to King Bidgood? Right. Well. In that story, one of the most important things that I've heard many of my teachers speak on this in the past, the people that I look up to in the bhakti tradition, uh, you know, what we, where, where energy, where attention goes, energy flows. What we nurture, what we give our devotion to uh, in love eventually saves us. Um, and, and it's weird because when we give our time and energy to cultivating virtue in ourselves and in the world. Um, there's a way in which that spiritual part of ourselves is like the fish and that it needs bigger and bigger vessels. Starts off like, yeah, you know, the spiritual part of me just needs a little bit of watering. Just it's a part of me that it's important. It just needs a little attention. I have my whole rest of my life over here. But you know, there's a spiritual part of me. It's like a little fish in a bowl. And I, you know, it's like it's a I love it. It's a little part. So it's like that for us, you know. And then in time, shit happens, right? And all of a sudden, the need for that spirituality grows and the dependence and reliance upon it as something to guide us through grows. And suddenly, in order to make sure we're taking care of that part of ourselves, because we've seen how important it is, we need to give it more time and energy. So the fish says, I need a bigger pond, right? And it keeps going like that. Then unexpectedly, one day, shit really hits the fan. You know, at, at some point there's a deluge, there is a big, big storm, but because gradually we have been feeding and developing and growing that spiritual part of our lives, then suddenly that fish, which is massive, will see us through the ocean of misery, the ocean that's often used to the crossing the ocean of misery, of suffering. So what we give our attention to in spiritual life gradually grows bigger and bigger. And then suddenly one day, unexpectedly, it becomes a saving grace in a situation that we couldn't have seen coming a, a moment of destruction, a moment of chaos, and it's saving. Jupiter Uranus is often talked about in exactly that way. It is the unexpected saving grace. Well, where does that come from? Does it just come randomly without, uh, you know, any merit whatsoever? Well, in a sense, yes, grace is always like that. But in another sense, grace comes uh, and does amazing, miraculous things also because we have put ourselves into the practice of daily opening our hands to receive it. It's hard to receive grace on big scales and to see on a bigger scale in our life and to see massive changes, unexpected, positive breakthroughs uh, if we aren't in the practice of opening our hands to receive the daily grace that the universe is always trying to give us. Um, I, I think there's lots of ways to open our hands to receiving grace and compassion that's inherent in all things. But the point of this story is that if you open little by little by little, then suddenly someday, which, and it will seem like very random, you know, grace descends. The avatar comes, the fish appears and guides the vessel through the waters of destruction and suffering. So just remember that in some ways, this is also why we say that if you want to receive um, this transit, you have to seize the opportunity. 
There's something about grace that needs to be received and needs to be taken in. And if nothing else, this transit is also a reminder that if we are in the daily practice of just opening our hearts and our hands to what is being given and saying thank you for it, no matter what it is, just being in that practice of just, if you sit down for 10 minutes every day and you just open your heart, open your mind and just start saying, yes, thank you. I don't understand all of it, but thank you. You'll find that that space in your heart, that generous, caring, loving space of gratitude is receiving mercy, is developing, is growing, and it's going to need bigger and bigger vessels. It's going to need more time. It's going to need more care. Then eventually also you hit a Jupiter Uranus transit and it's a saving grace. It is a, it is, it is a moment of profound salvation in some area of your life where it's like, wow, that could have gone a different way, you know? So I love Jupiter Uranus and I love that story for that reason. But the other, because the, here's the alternative. Alternative is a little bit like King Bidgood. <laughs> you know, if all we've done is indulge in ourselves, right? And all we've done is say, it, the bathtub is about me, right? It's just, it's just me and I take up all the space and I want everything to come to me. I want to receive everything for selfish gain right? Well, what is this transit also talked about, whether it's Richard Tarnas or uh, someone like Ren Butler, it's also talked about as the inflation of excessive pride and indulgence. And then what happens to that eventually? All mystical traditions tell us eventually the plug is pulled and you don't get to keep that kind of stuff forever. Uh, and all of a sudden you feel very naked and vulnerable and you're rushing to cover yourself and like scramble, you know? <laughs> so there's also something about this transit that warns us about indulgence and about how temporary the blessings or benefits of self-indulgence are. Yes, they may come during a Jupiter Uranus transit, but be careful because these kinds of blessings or benefits, when they're purely about enjoying everything in your own bathtub, right? Uh, that's not the same as growing the vessel of mercy and grace. That's not the same as growing the vessel of compassion. Uh, the endings are very different. Rather than the fish appearing now to guide us through an ocean of suffering, and oceans of suffering do appear in our lives, you know? Uh, instead, you're realizing, oh my God, I'm naked. Everyone's seeing me. I got a split. The water's gone. It's a rude awakening. So Jupiter Uranus is also, again, often talked about as the kinds of gains or benefits that are quick and excessive and short-lived and ultimately disillusioning. So you have to be careful of that too. For example, get rich quick schemes. You can be free spiritually and do nothing but, you know, buy this product. You know what I mean? There's a lot, there's a lot about this transit that will give some kind of temporary flash in the pan sense of, you know, brilliance and light and breakthrough. We have to ask ourselves, you know, are we King Bidgood at the end of the story? Or have we found Matsya, the avatar of Vishnu, the fish that's guiding us through that because we've put ourselves in a position to receive the grace and mercy of the universe every day in small ways, and then it grows. And then there's, there's big breakthroughs. And those big breakthroughs you can notice because they tend to save us from suffering. They tend to benefit other human beings. They tend to bless others with mercy and compassion. And they tend to uh, build within us a sense of um, 
faith and goodness and virtue toward other people. Those are the real saving moments. Those are the real breakthroughs when uh, our spiritual, uh, the cultivation of our spiritual values takes a big leap forward and it doesn't feel proportional to anything that we've done to earn it. But really we have, if we look at the, the allowance of a, a spiritual life to, to grow, okay, I'm giving you a little bit more space. I'm giving you a little bit more space. Not that I'm succeeding necessarily at anything. I'm just giving you a little bit, I'm giving my spiritual life a little bit more space. Then in time, it does huge things. So anyway, so uh, also my stories are rooted in whatever children's book I'm being asked to read 1000 times on repeat. So <laughs> if you haven't read King Bidgood's in the bathtub, it is a really fun book. Anyway, that's what I've got for today. I hope that this accompanies you well into the weekend. I look forward to uh, taking a look at all of the astrology coming through next week as well. Uh, lots to look forward to there. We're going to do a grabbed episode next week too, where we look at your stories. I've been aggregating them. I've got some really good ones. Um, I love your, the stories that you guys share. So if you have a story about Jupiter Uranus, use the hashtag grabbed, put Jupiter Uranus into the comment section along with a brief story. Be concise. Don't share too many details about your birth chart. If you prefer to email us, you can email us grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. All right, that's what I've got. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.